Take your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I want to remind you that this evening at church we will have a very special night. We call it our home missions night. For the past several weeks we've hosted each week two missionaries. We've seen missionaries going to Japan. We've seen missionaries from Guatemala. Uh, We've seen one going to China, Argentina, Canada. We've seen several missionaries, and I'm thankful for that. And this week, we just take this time to focus in on our own mission field here in Joshua. And truth is, I'll probably never be able to go to some foreign field, but I have a mission field right here. And tonight, we have planned a very special evening where people will come, and they'll tell you what our church has meant to them and specific ministries have meant to them. And then we just have a time for uh, people to open up and say, Lord, is there anywhere that you want me to serve? And I believe that if you're not serving God, you're souring where you are. And so that's what this evening's all about. And I hope that you'll choose to join us this evening. Matthew chapter 21. Today is what is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. We're going to speak on the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And as you read the Bible, there are several times when you begin to sense an emotion that is present in the Scripture. In other words, here as you read, the people are very jubilant and they're ecstatic over what's going on. But really, if you understand what's going on, they may be excited, but they are mistaken. And while there may be a tremendous amount of joy being shared between everybody, it's really a very sorrowful passage we'll read this morning. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1. The Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, uh, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now really our message will hinge upon what is found in verse 10. As everybody is coming into Jerusalem following Jesus, uh, Jesus is riding on this donkey and uh, uh, the disciples are there with him and there seems to be a great multitude in front of him a great multitude behind him, and Jesus is the object of affection of this parade, and everybody's shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. What a glorious day this is, they were saying. 
They were saying many wonderful things. And then as he enters into Jerusalem, somebody says, what's going on? I mean, what's all the commotion? What's the fuss? And, uh, and they say these words, who is this? Did you know that's the most important question that could ever be asked Amen. to any man? Amen. The most important question anybody will ever ask you is, who is Jesus? And if you're wrong on this question, just the smallest amount, did you know it could have eternal consequences? Amen. Now we face questions every day in our society. Sometimes I'm asked to do the wedding ceremony of a young man and a young woman who are in love, you know. And I'm asked to do these ceremonies, and I ask that young man, do you take this woman to be your wife? And he says, oh, of course I do. And then I look at this woman, and I try to give her as much communication that I can silently, and I say, are you sure that you would like to take this man? And she goes to answer, and I cut her off, and I say, no, 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 no. Are you sure? Look at him. That's a, that's a question that can have eternal consequences, amen? No, no, let's just think about it. Are you sure you want this man to be your lawful wedded husband? Uh, we're faced with many questions like when the police officer approaches our window and he says, do you know how fast you were going? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I knew that after I hit the brake, I was doing 25 miles over. Uh, so whatever, where, somewhere in there. Did you know that if a police officer approaches your window and you answer him wrong, right there, it's just a bad day if he decides to take it out on you. Uh, do you know how fast you were going? Well, uh, I, 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 I'm not fully aware of it. And here's another question that can have lasting consequences. Would you like fries with that? And you say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, a wise man once told me that a moment on the lips is a lifetime on the hips. And if you sit there and you say, well, sure, I want a, I want a biggie size that. Yeah, absolutely, I want a large. Man, give it to me. Give me the biggest fries you've got. Give me the biggest burger you've got. That is something that will have lasting consequences. But truly, there is no question that could ever be asked that will have more consequences than the one found in our passage this morning. Who is Jesus. I want to speak to you this morning on three traits of a person who answers this question incorrectly. Three traits of a person who answers this question incorrectly. Verse number eight, I want to share with you first of all, these people were responsive to give. Verse number eight, the Bible tells us in chapter number 21, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Man, if these were the type of people that were a member of our church, we would really have a lot going on for us. Uh, the disciples in verse 7 took their coats off and placed them on the, the donkey that Jesus was riding. And so I don't know if these people saw what the disciples were doing and they just decided to take part. I don't know if, if some of them didn't have a coat and so they decided to work and, and, and go through the effort of climbing a tree, cutting down a branch so that they would have something to place in the path of Jesus. But I want to point out to you this morning that these people were willing to give. 
I mean, there's a lot of churches that you could go to this morning that the preacher sits there and he begs his people to serve, he begs his people to work, and he's the only one working in the entire church. There's a, a, some churches this morning that the preacher prays and he pleads and he, and he prepares his sermons, but no matter how much work he does, everybody in the church just moss back and he's the only one serving God. But that is not what's in our passage this morning. These people were ecstatic to give. I mean, they were excited that they saw their neighbor as he took off his coat and they looked to their left and they saw that neighbor taking off his expensive garment and casting it in the path so that Jesus could have a red carpet treatment. These people were willing to give of the external things they had, but they were not willing to give internally. You see, Jesus did not want their garments, he wanted their person. He didn't want the stuff that they had. He wanted their heart. Yes, amen. And while they could, from the outside, uh, de- uh, demonstrate a, a heart of giving, they were not giving their heart. We often talk about uh, finances here at Joshua Baptist Church. We talk about stewardship. And, and we have an entire month dedicated to it. But one of the pre- prevailing thoughts that ought to be taken from any stewardship month is, God does not want your wallet if He does not already have your heart. Because when God has your heart, He will always have your wallet. And see, that's where these people were. They were willing to give and they were willing to serve, but there had never been a time in their life when they said, Jesus, my all has laid upon the altar. I have not given my heart to God, but they were willing to give of their time. Maybe they were willing to give of their talents. Maybe they were willing to give of their treasures, but they were not willing to give of themselves. What a shame in our society today it is how people will give themselves to causes that really don't matter. You talk about an entire campaign built around global warming, and I think it's somewhat comical that people... men think that we can have an effect on this planet. The Bible tells us clearly that this planet is upheld by the word of Jesus Christ, and I don't think that any amount of eco-diesel that I buy is going to uh, 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 contaminate this world, but God is in control. But people have, man, there's like kittens for Christ. Did you know we were uh, trying to plan our anniversary banquet, and we were going around, we are trying to find a room big enough to contain everybody, and we finally found one. It took us so much time. We sent off for so many proposals, but we finally found a room that would fit. We go in to sit uh, uh, to talk to the ladies, two people across the desk there, and uh, we say, "Well, here's our date, and this is what they told us." Well, unfortunately, you can't have that date because there's a kitten conference in town. (laughs) And apparently, they rent this out every year, and for two days, they come and look at kittens and they pet kittens. And they talk about how to raise your kitten properly. I don't know what they do, but I know they've got dibs on that place, and we don't, so amen. Praise the Lord for that. But man, there are so many pointless endeavors in this life, but there has never been anybody that's given their life to Christ and regretted it. There's never been anybody that's looked back over their years and laid in the hospital bed as an 80-year-old man and said, I wasted my life serving God. And what God wanted these people to do was to give less of their outward appearance and give everything of their inward being. 
these people were responsive to give. Even Samuel approached King Saul as King Saul said, Yeah, I'll sacrifice. I'll, I'll give. And Samuel said this, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken is better than the fat of rams. And God wants your heart. And if He has your heart, He'll have you and everything that is contained in that. First of all, they were responsive to give. Secondly, they were ready to voice their support. Look in verse number 9. Not only were they willing to give, but they were willing to communicate that verbally. Verse number 9, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Now in our day and age, we have a lot of trouble getting people to communicate the message that they're a Christian. We ask and we, we uh, request that people would invite others to church, but so often it goes undone. I'm thankful for those men here recently who have had enough courage to ask somebody, if you died right now, are you sure you'd be on your way to heaven? And thankfully they were courageous enough to, to go down that route, but how often, pe- how often people are not courageous enough to ask that? But in our Bible passage this morning, these people were willing to voice their support for Jesus. I mean, they were willing to communicate that I am following this guy, this man, this one on the donkey. I will follow him. And although they were willing to voice their support, they, they, they really never gave their support. They said, first of all, in here, verse number 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, we don't really use these type of terms today, but Hosanna comes from the Hebrew And specifically, it's used in Psalm 118. And Hosanna is essentially what started as a prayer saying, Save us now. And it was a prayer in Psalm 118, and then it became more of a praise. And as they would say, Hosanna, they were essentially saying, Save us now. And then you go on and it says, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, many people would not understand what the Son of David is. The Son in the Bible has several different contexts it can be used in. Son could be a direct descendant. In other words, someone could say that I am the son of Gene Wolfenbarger and I am the direct descendant of him. Someone could also say it as a distant descendant. In other words, someone could say that I am the direct or distant descendant of Greer Wolfenbarger. I am the son of Greer Wolfenbarger, which is my dad's father, and I am a distant descendant. But neither one of those is the context in which the term son is used this morning. It is used in a context of a divine descendant. You see, God told Abraham, he told David, that through David, he would establish a throne on the earth. So as God said to David, there would be a son, and I will establish his throne forever. That is the Jesus we're talking about this morning. The son was promised and prophesied by God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and And His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and of peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David 
and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it. So in other words, all the way back in Isaiah, God promised to send a son of David who would be a divine descendant of David. Not only does it say that in Isaiah, but in Jeremiah 23, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So Jesus, when they said, Son of David, they were not saying this is a direct descendant of David. They were not saying this is a distant descendant of David. They were, in essence, saying this is a divine descendant. And over time, it became a, a, a term of Messiahship. So when these folks were saying, this is the son of David, they were actually admitting that this was their Messiah. But unfortunately, they had read Isaiah where it says the government would be upon his shoulders. And they had read Jeremiah when God said he would establish his throne and, and he should reign in justice and righteousness. And so as Jesus came, they were saying, this is our Messiah. The unfortunate thing is their Messiah did not look like they thought he should look. And Jesus came to this earth, uh, and they were expecting one thing, and they got a whole other thing altogether. The son of David, and, and, and really what they were asking was they were saying, save us from Rome. So as they said, Hosanna uh, to the son of David, they were, they were praying, save us. We, we trust in your salvation, but not in the way we think of salvation. They said, the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. They also said in verse number eight, uh, uh, in verse number, uh, uh, let's see, verse number nine, I'm sorry. Uh, Blessed is the, uh, he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had never made any bones about the reason he came. Men would ask him, what are you doing here? Why did you come? And Jesus would say things like, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Uh, Jesus would say things like, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In other words, Jesus from the very get-go of his ministry said, I came to accomplish the will of my Father. And so as they said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, they were thinking that he came to deliver them from governmental oppression. But really what Jesus came for the first time was to deliver them from Satan's oppression. From the oppression of their sin. You see, they didn't realize that they stood guilty before God. And every year that lamb that was slain was only a delay of that punishment. And it can never take away the blood, or it can never take away their sin. For the Bible says in Hebrews, by the blood of goats and rams shall no sin be justified. In other words, they, can't, they thought Jesus has come to save us from the government. But really, He came to save them from their sins. And it's amazing how they just totally mistook Jesus' ministry and purpose in their life. But I would say that we as Christians are not all the time innocent of this ourselves. I mean, could you think of how cool it would be to have an all-powerful God at your disposal at all times? So that any time that you got a little uncomfortable with your circumstances, you could go to God and say, God, just fix the problem. 
God, things are getting a little rocky and things are getting a little tough, so God, just help me in my dilemma. And that's what they were doing. They had a problem in their life and they just said, God, help us. But so often, don't we do the same thing? We look at our, uh, uh, our government right now in America. We look at those who are running for office and we say, well, God's in control. God, help us. Did you know the first time Jesus came, he didn't care anything about government? It's amazing how we focus on our current circumstances and say, God, you ought to fix this. Really, you know what God has always been concerned with from Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15? From the very first time man sinned, God's problem was not with government. God's problem has always been with sin. And we look to God and we say, God, fix the government. But really what we need to be worried about is what he's already done to fix people's sin problem. Amazing how many hours we spend watching uh, uh, coverage of politics or we spend watching March Madness and we say, oh, God, fix this. Oh, God, help Duke get better because they're not good enough to win a national title right now. We, we pray those types of prayers and, and, uh, and we say, God, do this. God, do that. In reality... God may not be so concerned with trivial things of this life as He is with the fallen nature of mankind. We're so wasteful and we say, Oh God, fix this. What are you doing to allow Him to fix it in your life? What are you doing to tell your friends about how Jesus can fix their homes and how Jesus can fix their marriages and how Jesus can fix their relationships with their teenagers? That's what Jesus came to repair. He didn't come to repair the government. He came to repair people and they're standing with an almighty God. It's amazing how we, we think that we, uh, we support God when we say, God, fix this. God, fix that. No, that's not, God's, that's not us supporting God. That's God supporting us. When you are willing to support God, you'll go to your friend. And you'll go to your loved one and say, look, Jesus made an absolute change in my life. And he can do the same in yours. Not only were they uh, uh, responsive to give, they were ready to voice their support. Finally, and this is the saddest part of it all, they were reluctant to accept him for who he really was. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And when he was coming to Jerusalem... Now, I want you to understand, they were very enthusiastic about the one they were following. They were very uh, involved with his ministry. And man, they enjoyed seeing the miracles. And they enjoyed seeing the great accomplishments. But uh, as they came, they were shouting all these things. Verse number 10. All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Verse number 11. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. You see, it was not too many days before this time that we find ourselves in, in Scripture that Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Moses. Others say you're Elias. But the overwhelming consensus of everybody was that Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter looked at Jesus. And all the times that Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, boy, today he was on top of his game. 
All the times when Peter messed up and may have said something out of turn or may have done something out of order, Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter was wrong a lot, but that day he was right. Peter said, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You're not just a prophet. You don't just know things. You don't just perform good deeds. Jesus, you are the Christ, the one who sent to redeem us, the one who sent to save us. Jesus, you are the Son of God, and you are the uh, living God. That's what Peter said. And now as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, and all of these people are voicing their support for Jesus. They look around and they say, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this man? And you know what they say? They don't say what Peter said. They said he's a prophet. He's a prophet sent from God. But we're going to continue looking for the Son of God. We're going to continue acting as if the Messiah has never come. And that's the sadness of this passage, is these folks answered this question poorly. They answered it incorrectly. No matter what they said, they said, Jesus, you are, you do wonderful things. You're a great teacher. Jesus, it's amazing hearing the parables about how you can make a farmer feel welcome and and help him understand the truths you have. But at the end of the day, Jesus, you're just a prophet. What a sad indictment on these folks. Unfortunately, Jesus was not just a prophet. Fortunately, Jesus came to serve us. See, that's what they didn't realize, is the Messiah was never sent to rule. The Messiah was sent to conquer. Let me say that again. The Messiah was never sent to rule. He was sent to conquer. He wasn't sent to rule the government. He was sent to conquer sin and death and hell and the grave. He was sent to uh, serve while He was on this earth. Could you imagine the God of the universe taking man's feet and washing them? Man, I won't even massage my own wife's feet. I hate feet. I'll look at my feet and i say, you ugly boogers, I'll keep you in some Crocs or something. But yet the Son of the living God got down on a knee. And old Peter sitting there and all his disciples and Jesus served while he was on this earth. And see, the Messiah wasn't spent, sent to serve in their opinion. Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus was sent to minister and not to be ministered unto. The Bible tells us, uh, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. That's what the Bible says Jesus, the Messiah, was sent to do. He was sent to serve. In 2009, President Obama went to a G20 summit in London. And many of you may recall this event. But he was met there by the Saudi Arabian king. President Obama went to this man, shook his hand, and bowed to him. Now this was met with tremendous controversy. Obviously because our president doesn't bow to any king. Uh, uh, Americans, we don't bow. Even our soldiers stand erect and salute our chief and commander-in-chief. Americans don't bow. And so our president, 
The one who is highest in authority in our nation answers to no one. We are the superpower of the day, we like to say. And yet our president went and bowed before a man. Oh, I can understand why people were outraged. But you know what's more outrageous? That not a president came, but our God came. Our God came. And He did not kneel at the feet of kings. He knelt at the feet of fishermen. Of tax collectors. He knelt down and wrote in the sand at the base of a prostitute. That's our king. He came to serve us. He came to serve. But their Messiah was never sent to serve. Mine was. He was not only sent to serve, he was sent to the sick. You see, there was a time in Jesus' ministry where he called one of his disciples, Matthew. And uh, uh, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a, a, a publican. And, and Matthew invited him into his home to eat supper with him one night. And obviously the realm of friends that Matthew had was a bunch of publicans and, and sinners. A bunch of guys taken from the collection plate, if you will. The Pharisees saw Jesus eating supper with these folks. And they look at him and they say, Can you believe this Jesus eating with publicans and sinners? He went, they went to this, his disciples and said, What is your master doing eating with these, these type of people? You know what Jesus' response was? He said in Matthew chapter 9, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I'm a doctor. Doctors don't go into places with healthy people. Doctors go into places with sick people. And what these Jews, they thought their Messiah would come and he would, he would dine with kings and he would dine with those who were considered men of regard. But no, Jesus came to those who were sick. To those who had skeletons in their closet. To those who had baggage, that's who Jesus came for. And I'll just tell you right now, I'm glad that's who He came for. Because if He had come for the shiny ones, I don't think I'd have been in that group. If He had come for the ones that never did anything wrong, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't have been there. If He had come to those who didn't break elevators at West Coast Baptist College, I know for a fact that I would not have been in that category. But praise God, no matter how far I went away from God, no matter what I did, no matter where I went, no matter who I did it with, that's the type of person Jesus came for. He could have come for the shiny ones. I mean, uh, you look at a guy like Saul of Tarsus, that's the kind of guy he should have come for. Sure, he had some baggage, but I mean, look, this guy's a, uh, this guy's a stud. I mean, he's more zealous than anybody. He's Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's the kind of Jesus, uh, uh, guy Jesus should have come for. Oh no, Jesus came for the Andrew who the only thing he had uh, the power to do was just go to those that he knew, his brother and to the little lad with the two, uh, uh, five loaves and two fishes. Just Andrew, he's, he's just not the most uh, outspoken guy. Man, he wasn't even in the inner circle of the disciples. But Jesus came for the Andrews of the Bible. I'm glad he came for me. 
He came to the sick. Boy, I tell you what, I was sick when I met Jesus. Outwardly, everybody would look at me and say, Oh, Andrew, you were the preacher's son. You, I mean, you're doing good. Oh, you don't realize what I was on the inside. Everybody looks on the outward appearance, and they would all say, Brother Andrew, you're called to preach. And I was winning preacher boy contests back when I was 12 years old, and I wasn't even saved. And yet Jesus saw what I was on the inside and still loved me. And still gave his life for me. He came to the sick. Finally, and this is where it gets good, He came to save. If you could ask Jesus what His ministry was, if you could ask Him to sum up His ministry, this is what He would say. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The whole reason He came was because nobody was looking for God. The Bible tells us there is none that doeth good. There is not one that's righteous. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that seeketh God. There is none that understandeth. Bitterness and cursing is in their mouth. They were children of wrath. They were children of this world. Children of darkness. And friend, that's where you were not so long ago. But I'm so thankful that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. And I don't know how the whole process works about how a spirit God becomes a fleshly man. I don't understand all the theology, then I don't understand all the doctrine, but I do know this, that Jesus wrapped himself in the form of just a little baby, and over there in Bethlehem's manger, he came to seek and to save me, and he came to seek and to save you. That's the reason Jesus came. Well, that's good. That's better than snuff and not near as dusty. Whew. He came to seek and to save you. Several Christmases ago, we went over to my grandmother's house and I had forwarded on my Christmas list. I sent her what I wanted. And we got over to Grandma's house and Grandma has traditionally been very accurate as to what she gets me. I mean, you, I know the budget that Grandma has to spend, so I, I get right there at the top level of Grandma's budget and I don't go over that because we have a respect, a love, a mutual respect. I ask for as much as you can give, and you get me exactly what I want. <laughs> I would even take the time to cut out the, uh, uh, the decoy or whatever, the jacket that I wanted from Bass Pro Shops, and I'd glue it on. I mean, this is old school copy and paste. I would Elmer's glue it on to a, a legal sheet of paper, and I would write out what size and the description of it, and I would send it on. And man, she was so good that when I wanted real tree camo, she wouldn't get me mossy oak, amen? I mean, she got me the real tree. None of that mossy oak stuff. You look like a black blob sitting up there in the tree. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But Grandma got me exactly what I want. Well, this year it was a little odd because we started to unwrap the gifts and I unwrapped my gift and I see on the box that it says she got me a DVD and VCR player. I don't know if Grandma realized VCRs were coming to be a thing of the past. I, I guess if I wanted to pop in my Cinderella and watch it, but she got me a DVD and uh, a VCR. And, I, and you know, you have to act. You have to act like you are thankful. Because there's always a next Christmas, amen? You can't be that grandkid. 
So I opened that gift and I said, oh boy, Grandma, thank you. What a, I must say, this is exactly what I wanted. I must say it. Because it is not really exactly what I wanted. I was pretty specific as to what I wanted and somehow the lines of communication broke and you did not get the message. So I pile it over in the corner. Everybody else is elated with their gifts, you know. Mandy's over there showering in her presence, like, oh, I love Grandma, she's so great. And I'm like, not really. Um, (laughs) She's not here this morning, amen. Uh, (laughs) I was so disappointed. And it just so happens, we load up the car and we go home, and I'm like, Man, I really, it was, what I wanted was a fleece, a duck hunting fleece to keep me warm on cold winter mornings. It was Windstopper, it was Max 4 camo. I mean, this thing was awesome. It was White River. Uh, it was on Walmart's website. It was right at 100 This thing was nice. And now I'm going home with a DVD VCR player. Get home and I stick the, the player under my bed. and I, I, don't, even, I don't even open it because that's stupid. I don't don't care to have it. Several months later, I'm cleaning out from under my bed. And now this may have been years later, actually, because I don't clean out from under my bed often. (laughs) I'm cleaning out from under my bed, and I I, I, I pull it out, and it just so happens that I guess the tape had just dry-rotted or whatever, and it just kind of pops open. And in that box was my fleece. Exactly what I wanted, the color I wanted, the size I wanted, everything I wanted, there it was. And the box did not reveal exactly what I had asked for. What these people mistook was, they read Jesus' outward appearance and all the things, they looked at Him and they said, you're not what we want. And these same people are the same ones who in just a few days will be shouting, crucify him. Because that was not the Messiah they wanted. But if they would have just taken just a few moments to open the box and realize that Jesus was never sent to take Roman oppression from them. He was sent to relieve them from their ultimate penalty and death in hell. How many people look at Christianity and look at this Christ and they say, I don't want some God telling me what to do. I don't want some God lording over my life as if I don't have my own mind and I don't have my own tastes and desires. I don't want that kind of God. That's not the kind of God I have. The kind of God I have loved me so much that He came and He laid His hands on a cross. And he allowed men to put nails through his hands and through his feet. And he allowed men to spit on him and curse him and to rip his beard out of his face and plant a crown of thorns upon his head. That's the type of God that I have. He does not lord over my life. He's gracious and he's loving and he's kind. And when he asks me to do something and he says, Andrew, I want you to do this, it's not out of obligation I do it. It's out of privilege I do it. Oh, I don't have a God that lords over me. I have a Lord that loves me. The most important question that you will ever be asked in your life is who is Jesus to you? 